Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, cookbook author Claire Saffitz embraces chaos in the kitchen. Just serve it. Like, throw some whipped cream on top. Plus, we dip our toes into the weird world of yodeling. Some people really don't like it and find it offensive, which I think is a really good sign. But first, it's our chance to sit back and relax with two excellent humans. With us this week, we have Ophira Eisenberg. She's a comedian and writer who used to host the NPR show Ask Me Another, and now she hosts the podcast Parenting is a Joke. Ophira, welcome. Hello. Oh, my goodness, Greta. I feel like this is a long time coming. So hi. I know, right? Absolutely. Yes. Destiny. It's happening. (laughs) We also have Nagin Farsad. She is also a comedian and writer. You've heard her on the NPR show. Wait, wait, don't tell me. And she also hosts the podcast Fake the Nation. Nagin, hello. Oh, my gosh. Hello. Hello again. Always love coming on the show. Yay. Okay, so I want to talk about midterms, but not actually (laughs) about midterms. Mm -hmm. Um, But first, Nagin, on your podcast this week, you mentioned that you like to bring first day of school energy to your election day outfit. I want to know, what'd you end up wearing? So I voted early. I voted on Sunday Mm -hmm. and I wore Mm -hmm. a really cute, if I do say so myself, (laughs) blue jumpsuit with a red belt. I was like definitely like slightly overdressed for the occasion, but um, I really got in there with some style. I like it. Ophira, do you have like a voting outfit? Is that a thing you're into? Strangely, I will say that uh, I put on makeup. I was as I was leaving to go to the poll, I was like, I'm putting on makeup. Why exactly am I doing that? And then, you know, part of it, listen, I have my own my own little hangups. But I in my neighborhood, I just I know people who volunteer uh, to be pollsters. Mm. It is the hub of activity. And we're all going to stand beside each other and with our stickers and smile and do selfies. So I should throw on some lipstick. That's amazing. I mailed my vote in and I don't think I even wore a bra on that walk to the mailbox, y'all. No, we are phoning it in over here. Democracy needs some like underwire. You know what I mean? Just more support. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it takes all types. Okay, Nagin. <laughs> so obviously the midterms were earlier this week. Uh, they're a big deal. There are lots of very intense issues, lots of misinformation. Clearly, we are still a deeply divided country. What I'm wondering about from each of you, especially two weeks out from Thanksgiving, is how you're planning on navigating politics at the dinner table. Ophira, is this like a thing you've thought about? <laughs> okay, yes, but it is for me, it is such a stranger question only because mm-hmm. uh, my family is Canadian. So, of course, we boo, celebrated boo. Uh, Thanksgiving <laughs> uh, a month ago. Uh, yeah, we we um, stole from our indigenous people mm-hmm. a month earlier. 
Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty much a uh, angrily go smoke a cigarette in the bathroom mm. if I still smoke. <laughs> uh, but so it's a buy a pack of cigarettes kind of holiday, <laughs> right? Exactly. First, you got to like find an excuse to leave Thanksgiving. <laughs> then you got to go to find a deli, and then the, this it's a long term plan. But recently, I did have a text exchange, which in, I'll call that this my Thanksgiving dinner with hmm. a family member who was super weird to me uh, during a Zoom because <laughs> we Zoom to connect. And uh, I called them on it. You know, they were like, well, uh, I just don't believe in this. And if you believe in this, like, I don't know, like, I just you need to be able to accept where I'm coming from. And I said, yeah, same back at you. Right. There's got to be room for both of us. And then there was I saw three dots for a solid 45 minutes. Wow. Wow. And then they finally wrote, I guess there is room for both of us. So I was like, that is the goal. (laughs) Yeah. That is the goal. Like, and I think I would love to say that, you know, someone stands up in, during the what I'm grateful speech part of the <laughs> evening and delivers this kind of change hearts and minds that everyone comes together. Mm-hmm. Un- unbelievably inspiring. Aaron Sorkin speech. wrote that, I think. Yeah, yeah right, exactly. <laughs> well, they, someone holding a turkey, it happens while they're walking and talking. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I just don't think I don't think that's how it happens. I wish there was more of well, there's room for both of our opinion. That's the goal. Well, I also like the hearts and minds element of just like bringing a very good baked good. So then at the very least, they're like, well, that Greta, at least she makes a real good pumpkin pie or whatever, you know, yeah. that is true. Going right back to the old, like, do it through the stomach. Absolutely. So this week, there was this amazing story from The New York Times. It might be one of my favorite stories that I've read in quite some time. It's about uh, this thing that happened in Texas. So more than 315 high school students found out they have to retake the SATs because their tests fell out of a UPS truck (laughs) and were deemed compromised. I just loved this so much. I mean, UPS issued a statement. They have apologized to the school. They extended their apologies to the students. Um, I just think this is amazing. Nagin, did you love this story as much as I did? I mean, it sounds terrible. It's I, like a nightmare. First of all, the SATs were so rot for me. Oh, like the I hate I hated a standardized test uh growing up. So the idea that I would have to take it again because of a UPS error. Yeah. I would lose my mind. Also, can I? Here's my solution: give everyone a sixteen hundred, right? Yeah, or maybe even like like a fourteen hundred, or like you know, like a B plus. That's great. Let's do a fourteen (laughs) hundred. Now, here's another Canadianism. I uh, oh Canadian, yeah, didn't have to take SATs. God bless it. I, so I, and I've heard everyone's nightmare stories. I mean, it's it, oh. this, everyone I meet. No one was like that was one of the best days of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Just no. waltzed in and I did great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it it is a, a trauma. It's trauma for most it people. It is trauma. Yeah. And second, to yeah. whatever student knows that they were going to get like a three hundred and had a few hundred dollars to give to a UPS driver. Well done. Oh. <laughs> Oh, you think that's what happened? (laughs) That would be amazing if there was foul play and not just incompetence. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. I love that. By the way, isn't the SAT kind of running out of favor? Yes. 
Yes, yes. Yeah. totally. I yeah. mean, maybe this UPS truck is the UPS <laughs> truck that broke the camel's back. You know what I mean? That's right. It's the UPS truck trying to propel us into the future. Exactly. Oh God. So how much do you want to bet that this story has already been optioned by someone? I mean, like, I would watch this TV show. <laughs> Tom Hanks plays the UPS driver. <laughs> I feel like it's somehow a really great premise for, like, a YA rom-com, you know? Wait a second. So two people... Two teenagers are somehow brought together by a a, a UPS truck that dumped their SAT scores. They're, like, in the fields in Kansas looking for this box of SAT, (laughs) and they fall in love, and they have their first kiss or whatever. I love this. And it's called 1600? (laughs) here I, did we just is it are there any hollywood execs listening to this show right now probably not but you never know <laughs> so we just talked about two pretty stressful situations on the much lighter side of things uh, a tweet went viral earlier this week about how if you call this one phone number you can get a pep talk from a kindergartner this is like an automated service no one is forcing five-year-olds to phone bank <laughs> NVR first reported on the service in March, and it is indeed adorable. Hi, welcome to Pep Talk, a public art project by Westside School. If you're feeling mad, frustrated, or nervous, press 1. Go get your wallet and spend it on ice cream and shoes. (laughs) If you need a Pep Talk from kindergartners, press 3. You can do it! I mean, oh my god, is that not the best thing that you've heard in ages? I literally listened to it and cried. It was just so sweet. It's like Ted Lasso in a voicemail setting. (laughs) What a brilliant idea. Was this the teacher? Like, who did this? Like, why'd they do this? Who did this? Who did this? (laughs) What asshole made my Grinch heart grow three sizes today? But, you know, listening to them, you know, minus the sort of, of course, like, get ice cream, which... Trust me, I I like an ice cream in a low moment. Yeah. But when you listen to them, it's not only the same things that, you know, I actually say to my child, we, we, Mm. we really do say very simple things when it comes to self-esteem and dealing with anger. Mm. And then to hear it played back, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is also the same things that adults read about in self-help books or invest time with professionals telling them, okay, you're angry, just take a beat. There's a little kid that says, like, just count to three. When you're feeling mad, you should take three deep breaths and think of things that make you happy. The thing that makes me happy is when, and, and I think of happy things will happen in the future, like going to a friend's house or a cousin's house. Bye. Yes. Yes, that's exactly it. I like the one that's like, go get your wallet. Right. That was the first one. Go get your wallet. Get some ice cream and shoes. But also, like, we're we're both parents, me and Ophira. And I look at my kids sometimes and I just am like, please don't develop the set of anxieties that I I now currently Mm -hmm. live with. And how bad, you know, because she doesn't have them right now. And how old is she? She's three. Okay, I was thinking she's a little younger than these kids are still. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's not. She's not prepared to give advice. Quite she has no yet. aphorisms. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, I don't know. I've never even heard her say the word wallet before. But um, <laughs> it's coming. 
<laughs> but I love the idea that we, you know, I think as parents, you sort of like learn from your kid the being in the moment part mm-hmm. of life every day because I see her just enjoying the moment and I'm like, oh, I got to remember to do that. <laughs> like, yeah. That's what I need to do. Why am I going through my to-do list while I'm trying to play with her or, right. you know, simply eat dinner with her or something like that? It's amazing to see a kid just like thoroughly enjoy something in the moment and not carry the baggage of constant panic and stress and anxiety and self-loathing uh, in their heads with them. My son just turned seven, but he has a lot of confidence in himself that just mm. seems to be how it is. It's, you know, it's, I feel like it's the world that will chip away at that. But yeah. you start you start with a good, healthy, healthy amount. And he looks in the mirror and he smiles at himself and does different poses. And I even heard him say, like, you look great to himself. Oh. And I was like, I have never done that. I look at myself and I'm like, what happened? Like, <laughs> just, and I don't even think, well, as a woman, that's a whole other set of right. issues. But yeah, it's a good reminder, kind of the simplicity of it all. Well, and I think too, like the wonder of it, you know, like just to have that genuine enthusiasm for stuff as if you're encountering it for the first time. And, in, you know, sometimes I think we should just go with the idea about, you know, what will, would solve this? Yeah. An ice cream. <laughs> and that's the end. That is the end. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then you eat the ice cream and you're like, yeah, it is we're solved. Good. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Nagin, Ophira, thank you both so much. This was too much fun. Oh, thank you so much, Greta. Thank you, Nagin. Thank you both. This was so fun. (laughs) And I will now go eat ice cream. I am very excited to introduce you to our next guest because she is one of my favorite cookbook authors ever. Her name is Claire Saffitz, and her first book is called Dessert Person. It is no understatement that those recipes helped me get through the pandemic. Her next cookbook is called What's for Dessert, and it's out now. Claire, welcome to Nerdette. Yay, thank you for having me. So your first cookbook, Dessert Person... I mean, definitely was like dessert focused, but there was, you know, there were like some breads. There were other savory things in there. This one really is like you are doubling down on dessert. You go so far as to call it a love letter to dessert. What inspired you to really zero in with this one? Yeah. So Dessert Person, my first book, was really a book about my love of baking specifically. So there Mm. were sweet and savory things. It was the argument I was trying to make in the book was that Baking can be a sort of flexible, creative art, just like cooking, even though, yes, you have to be exact about measurements and certain Mm. techniques. Um, But it was really all about baking. But I realized that there were so many other areas that I had not explored and so many stones that I had left unturned. And so I really wanted to push myself to become like a more well-rounded dessert person in a sense by, (laughs) by investigating things like puddings and semifredos and panna cottas and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I felt like I really stretched my legs in a different way with this book. But yes, it is all dessert. I have to say, I'm thrilled by all the pudding content. I It's like, I, I feel like I'm going to be a really great old lady in a lot of ways. And puddings, like, they kind of <laughs> get a rap for being sort of like an old person thing. But like, they can be so delicious. Absolutely. And I, you know, one of my favorite things in the world is is just plain vanilla pastry cream. And like, that is, that mm-hmm. is pudding. That is what that is. <laughs> Well, and it seems too like in general with this book, there is like a pretty heavy nostalgia factor. Absolutely. That was a really fun thing to play around with. I felt like Dessert Person was sort of 
makes this kind of modern and classic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really excited to kind of delve into a little bit more like history with what's for dessert. And I did a lot of inspiration seeking in mid-century cookbooks, specifically community cookbooks, which mm. are such fun and interesting time capsules and kind of like historical texts in a sense of regional cooking um, and home cooking specifically. I was really, really interested in seeking inspiration less in like pastry chef focused kinds Mm -hmm. of recipes and more in really like home baking traditions. Oh, that's really cool. So did you have dessert like regularly as a kid growing up? We did. It was just sort of assumed that that was part of the meal, but it's not Mm -hmm. like we sat down for a formal like dessert course at all. Um, We had cheeses and then (laughs) right right, after dinner, right. We went on to the cheese course and then we had our fruit dessert. We took a stroll through the garden. (laughs) Right. It was quite opposite of that, but we would have family dinner every night and then Mm we clean up from dinner, clear the table. You know, my sisters and I had like our little chores afterwards um, and then it was sort of like for the rest of the evening, everyone just helped themselves to whatever dessert they wanted. And usually it would be ice cream. We, we always sort of mm. had like a half gallon of ice cream in the in the freezer. And my mom is and was a great baker. And often we had like a homemade thing as well. So we were very lucky in that sense. It's really lovely. It's That's such a nice way of putting it. Sometimes I feel like I'm like a, a sugar fiend monster after dinner. And I'm like, <laughs> what's the next thing? I need it immediately. But there is the other side of that coin, I think, is that there's just like such a, I mean, literal sweetness, but also... I think figuratively, too, it's just really nice to like have a moment after the meal. And even if it's like a little bite of something just to to give yourself something sweet. Yeah, just even a nibble, like a piece of chocolate. It does not have to be a kind of like plated dish or Mm -hmm. or a slice of something or anything um, composed. It often is, you know, when I'm like home, it's just my husband and I, or even if I'm home alone, it's a piece of chocolate or like a scoop full of nut butter and Nutella or that kind of thing. Mm. I just... I just want something sweet. I feel like it's punctuation of of the meal. And yeah. I often feel like the meal is not over until I have had something sweet as, yes. a, as a kind of final point on it. Exactly. So you have a whole section in this book, which I loved called How to Bake with Less Anxiety, which I think is really lovely for a number of reasons, partly just because, you know, and you kind of talked to this earlier, like the idea of baking often is so precision heavy. Mm-hmm. And I think people, you know, especially when they want to make something pretty, like it's really easy to get kind of worked up around all of it. But right. it seems like with this one, especially your approach really is like, let's let's have a good time of it. The approach is let's have a good time. But it also was a lot about managing expectations because mm. I think the ubiquity of food media has made and social media has stretched expectations a little bit. Mm. Um, and like, I, you know, I'm I'm a part of that, too. Like I have a YouTube channel where I produce <laughs> desserts and they like, usually look pretty good in the end. And of course, there's there's editing. Yeah. Having people understand that like there will be a, like a fundamental part of the process of becoming a better baker is is things not turning out how you want them to. So the section on baking with less anxiety is partly about managing expectations because I don't know, the more the older I get, the more I think like everything in life is just about expectations and, mm. and, and perspective. Yeah. Um, and then I also try to give tips for people to just kind of get more comfortable in the kitchen and to not approach every baking project with stress or anxiety because I remember those feelings in the kitchen when I was learning and um you know I of course wanted I'm a recovering perfectionist so I wanted everything (laughs) to be like you know like it looked in the book or online um so I do give tips for kind of assuaging those those feelings 
Well, I think, too, I mean, it's funny. I remember distinctly I took like a biscuit and scone class probably like 10 years ago in Asheville, North Carolina. And they they said something like, you know, if it doesn't work out, you know, turn out quite the way you want it, like just call it rustic. And that uh-huh. really <laughs> stuck with me because that's like, oh, like, you know, even if it's not photogenic, if it's still delicious, like that's a win. Absolutely. Taste is foremost. And I love the kind of like that feels like a very kind of Julia Child Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like perspective. It's like never apologize. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) Right, right. I try to reiterate this to people. It's like people are just so excited to be cooked for and baked for. And like, I think, you know, so many people, especially bakers are their own worst critics. And it's Mm. like, you just just serve it. Like throw some whipped cream on top. Yeah. I mean, that's funny. I don't really follow my advice. I am someone who when I serve something, I point out every flaw. (laughs) So I should follow my own advice. (laughs) But well, it's that's true. Okay. <laughs> we all <laughs> right. have room to grow. That's fine. Right. So can you talk through a little bit like what your criteria are for a recipe and then how you end up building it? I'm really curious too to hear about the testing process. The the sort of like genesis of the idea can be an ingredient or something I, I see in a photo or, you know, read about it in a cookbook. Um, it can come from a trip to the farmer's market. There's a lot of places, you know, where I... I get an, an idea that kind of sparks an inspiration. In the book, there's a, a, a conquered grape semifredo. Semifredo is mm, like yes. kind of no churn. It's really like a frozen mousse, but it's kind of like a no churn kind of ice cream. Yeah. I remember the getting that idea because I was thinking of like, what do I want to do? I love the flavor of conquered grapes. And it just, it kind of took shape in my head as, okay, I could do a semifredo with it because I knew I wanted to sort of make a great curd. Mm. So I conceive of it. And then I enter the testing process. And what I'm looking for on the first test is like proof of concept. It's like, I want to know, does this thing that I've never made before, like work? Does it fundamentally work? Does it, does it work as a dish? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it doesn't work. I try a few more times to see if I can get proof of concept. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. And I move on. But you know, once it generally like the, the idea sort of holds water. And so then I continue during the testing process to get it where I want it. But I've also learned through testing that sometimes a thing tells you what it wants to be. Like I have my idea of what I want it to be, but sometimes I have to listen to the recipe and it might turn out differently than I had originally imagined, but that can be a good thing. Like sometimes I kind of stumble into or discover something that I, I actually like even better. So I try to remain open throughout the process to it taking shape without my imposing, a, a, you know, something else on it. God, what a life lesson. Speaking of expectations, huh? <laughs> yeah, that lesson was hard to learn. I'm still trying to learn that lesson a little bit. Is there an example for something that ended up in the book that is like very different than what you pictured, but you're really pleasantly surprised with how it ended up turning out? Yeah, there are definitely a few. I was working on in the cookie section. There is a recipe in there for a a kind of version of like toffee matzah, which is like a common. Oh, yes delicious Passover dessert. So I wanted to do a version of that, but I wanted, rather than having a a kind of traditional toffee mixture, I wanted to have like a sesame toffee made from tahini with Mm. sesame seeds, kind of inspired by like those really delicious honey sesame candies that you get at like my, you know, like the checkout aisle of the grocery store or something. So that was my inspiration point. And I really wanted to have that crack, that kind of crunchy, crackly Mm -hmm. texture of toffee, but it kept turning out chewy. Like I made it so many times and it kept turning out chewy and I kept making changes and it kept kind of getting 
like chewier. And then eventually I was like, this is still good. Like, you're like, fuck it. It's chewy. (laughs) It's chewy. It's now a chewy candy, like matzah. (laughs) So I was like, great. This is like what this is going to be. And, you know, it has something to do with like the fat content of the tahini and all these reasons why it wasn't going to ever be that like toffee, crunchy texture. Um, But it's delicious. And when people tried it, they asked for the recipe. So I was like, see, this thing is still good. It's just not. (laughs) what I originally had imagined. And on average, how many times are you trying? I guess it probably depends on the recipe, but like, are you really trying stuff eight times before you're like getting stuff down on paper as like a final ish version? Sometimes that, that does happen. I mean, I, I actually feel like so many of the recipes in what's for dessert are kind of new to me, like not new, but new to me, sort of mm. new, new to my repertoire. I did cool. end up, I think, testing them more times that I did the recipes in dessert person, which were more things like in my wheelhouse. That you made at work for yeah. years, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or I had just like made for fun, you know, and had been sitting on the recipe for a while or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe, I mean, it's hard to assign like an average to all of them, but I would sure. say maybe five, hmm. that kind of thing. It's, it's sort of a hard quality to describe, but there's a kind of like symmetry or wholeness to a recipe that I strive for um, and kind of like formal elegance that just... It's like not that easy to achieve, and I don't feel like I achieve it every time, but having a certain amount of time to think about it um, is really is really important to kind of getting to that like qualitative place where I think a, a recipe is done. It's such a fascinating creative process, you know, like it's so similar to so many other things, but it's also so multifaceted at the same time. I, I think it really fundamentally is a creative process. And that's what's so cool is that I feel like it's a rare discipline where it's a creative process, but then in the end, it's like a, you've made like something consumable and that there's something yeah. really beautiful about that. And it's like literally feeding people. So yes. I, I love it. It's definitely what I was meant to do. It's funny because I feel lucky that you get to do it too. <laughs> oh, thank you. Like the best thing I could ever hear. Thank you. So before I let you go, what are you having for dessert tonight? Oh my gosh. You know what I've just rediscovered, I should say. My, <laughs> my husband for reasons I don't know he like we're both like big milk drinkers like love love milk and he <laughs> loves chocolate milk actually both of us love chocolate milk and so he bought Hershey's syrup and I was like why did you like we just like I don't know I guess there's some kind of like latent food snobbery a little bit maybe with like because like I've made like hot fudge before and it's like why yeah. don't we need Hershey's syrup Hershey's like syrup. You know, yeah I haven't had this since I was a kid but the uh, I really had to like metaphorically eat my words because we had some vanilla ice cream and I put, I had like a Sunday last night of vanilla ice cream, Hershey syrup and a couple sprinkles. And it was like the most delicious thing I've ever eaten. It was mm. so good. I could not get over it. So I had to like really be like, I'm, I had to stop eating this. Um, <laughs> and I'm so excited to eat it again for dessert tonight. I love it. Well, Claire, thank you so much. This was too much fun. I loved it. Oh, what a pleasure. Thank you so much. After the break, we are going to a yodel party. Yep, it's a party for yodeling. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Go to sleep, my darling baby. Oh, baby. When I first listened to the A's debut album, Fruit, I was surprised and delighted to come across a sort of singing that I have to say I do not think about a lot in the year 2022. <laughs> That's right. Amelia Meath, who is also in the band Sylvanesso, has teamed up with Alexandra Souser Monig to become the A's. They've played together before, but this is their first two person band, and they are going for it with the yodeling. They're on tour now with singer Marcus Mumford from the band Mumford and Sons. And the reaction from the crowd is not always enthusiastic. One of the things I like the most about being in a yodeling band is that people, uh, some people really don't like it and find it offensive. And I've been in a lot of bands and the A's is the first band where people are like, I don't like this and I'm offended by it, which I think is a really good sign. Alex has found if the band takes itself less seriously, the audience is more likely to go along for the weird yodely ride. We've realized over the tour, like people really need us to contextualize our band and what we're doing. And like the method it feels that has worked the best for doing that is like calling ourselves a stunt yodeling band and like making jokes throughout the set um, to make people feel more comfortable with what's happening, I think. Fruit is the A's first album, and it's filled with melodic covers of Western tunes from the early half of the 20th century. One of the songs on the album is called Why I'm Grieving, and it's a cover of a yodeling duo called the Dezurek Sisters, who also happen to be one of Alex and Amelia's inspirations for the quirky vocalizations. You ask me why I'm grieving, I tell you why I'm grieving, I'm grieving for the other done me wrong. Gather round and listen and let this be a lesson, you should never leave your cat too long. I've never laughed so much while making a record as I did with Fruit because it's all this expansive like joke in the midst of songs about grieving and death that I just love so much. Experts agree yodeling started in Switzerland as a way for mountain villagers to send messages to each other. But that's just alpine yodeling. Well, yodeling exists all around the world. Um, And so I think it looks differently depending on where you are. But yeah, I mean, it's like in Central Africa, Georgian music, Scandinavian, Austrian. everywhere. Yodeling is varied and intricate, which makes sense since it's almost its own language. Yeah, we, we really enjoy the challenge of like 
transcribing a yodel phonetically onto paper and then trying to memorize the sounds and and make the sounds too because some of the sounds like on this record are like you know it's not like the typical vowel sounds of a yodel but also like you know like tongue rolls and hiccups and like you know just like really strange consonant sounds um so it's just really entertaining and delightful to do it's like learning another language Way up yonder above the sky, a blue bird nests in a green bird's eye. Buckeye Jim, you can't go, go even spin, you can't go. Buckeye Jim. Amelia and Alex from the self proclaimed stunt yodeling band The A's, their album Fruit is out now. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening as always. I actually have like a little extra bonus favor to ask of you. You could even call it homework. Our Thanksgiving episode is coming out soon and we would love to hear from you. What are you extra grateful for this year? You know the drill. Just record yourself on your phone and then send that little audio file over to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman along with Sam Deere. Our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. Have a delicious weekend or have a yodely weekend. Just make it weird, whatever you do. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.